Hello, thank you for listening to Chesbro Baptist Church's podcast. This morning's sermon is the first sermon in a new series entitled The Original Christmas Playlist. This is a series of sermons we'll be preaching through the Christmas season. The first sermon is entitled Mary's Song, so please enjoy. Luke chapter 1, if I haven't told you yet, Luke chapter 1, start reading in verse number 46 in just a minute. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, and uh, we're going to start, this is a Christmas season, and uh, we're going to start a new Sunday morning series this morning. Um, I am, is my wife in here? No, she's not. I am a Christmas nut, and uh, she can tell you that I love Christmas music, and I probably start playing Christmas music around October. She absolutely hates it. She can't stand me playing Christmas music. Thanksgiving hasn't, hasn't even take, taken place yet. Yes, I'm one of those people. And uh, I love my Christmas music. I, I listen to Elvis and Blue Christmas and uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer and, and Truck and Trees for Christmas and, the, and Alvin and the Chipmunks singing, uh, uh, the, you know, uh, those, that, that's, that's my jam. I love Christmas music. And, uh, but you know what? Uh, the title of this, the, mess, the series of sermons I'm going to be preaching the month of December is called The Original Christmas Playlist. The Original Christmas Playlist. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some songs in Scripture leading up to the birth of Christ. The first one we're going to go over this morning is Mary's Song. So we're going to talk about Mary's song this morning. I'm going to read my scripture, and then we're going to pray, and we'll get into the message. Into the message. Uh, if you would please follow along with me while I read in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 46. We'll read down to verse number 56. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm, and has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent, away, sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned unto her own house. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we go through the Scriptures and we go through the Word of God. May the Spirit of God be with us. May the power of God fill our hearts this morning. Thank you for all you've done for us. Be with the message today. Precious in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. If I could this morning, I'd like to invite you for just a second to put yourself in Mary's, Mary's shoes. To put yourself where she was and, and to know the, the obstacles that she faced. One of the things that Mary faced is Mary faced ostracism from her own family. Of course, no one really believed at the time that, that you know, somebody comes up and says, Hey, I'm a virgin, I'm having a baby, and they're not going to believe that. In fact, Joseph himself 
had to be convinced by an angel. An angel had to tell Joseph that that was the truth. So uh, Joseph was even going to put her away until an angel had to tell, uh, tell him that Mary was telling the truth. So here we have Mary, and Mary's on a journey to her cousin's Elizabeth's house. Now let me ask you a question. Why do you think Mary was sent away to Elizabeth's house for three months? Now, of course, it very well could have been that, that Mary just went there to help Elizabeth with her pregnancy because she was further along and she was about to have a baby and Mary was sent there to attend to her. But also it could be this was about the time that Mary was going to begin to show. And Mary's parents didn't want that shame and Mary's parents didn't want people to be walking around and seeing unmarried Mary walking around town with a big belly. So they sent Mary off to Elizabeth. Why don't you go to Elizabeth? For all, stay over there for three months. That was probably part of the reason why Mary was sent to Elizabeth. Now I want to tell you this morning that, that, that Mary had a lot, a tremendous weight on her. Mary had a lot on her mind. Mary had a big weight. She was carrying a big burden and a big weight. And she thought about that and thought about that and thought about that. And she was on this road from Nazareth to Bethany. It was a four-day four trip. She got to Bethany and uh, she saw Elizabeth. And as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, little John the Baptist jumped in her belly and she rose up and she greeted uh, Mary and the Bible says she was filled with the Spirit of God and began to speak with Mary. Well, when, 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 when Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit of God, Mary was filled with the Spirit of God too. The Bible says that Mary began to recite or sing a song. We know this because the, in the scripture, uh, this, this, is, uh, this is called the Magnificat. And it's called that because the first word she uses is magnify. And these are broken up into stanzas and verses. So we know it's, it's some sort of song. So this passage for centuries has been called the Magnificat because she starts out with the word magnify. But also one, what I want to tell you about this passage of scripture right here is that Mary... She mirrors and quotes a lot of other verses of Scripture in this passage here. Some of the verses that she alludes to is Psalms 103, Psalms 22, 44, 89, 98, 147, 25. She also alludes to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Isaiah, Job. So she's, 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 she's uh, calling up all these Scriptures. Now... If I, could, if I could, once again, let me borrow your imagination. I'd like you to go right now to teenage Mary. Pregnant, alone, teenage Mary on a four-day trip from Nazareth to Bethany by herself. She was by herself alone for that trip. Now, uh, it's not like she had a copy of the Word of God with her. It's not like she could pull out her iPhone and open up an app and read the Bible. She couldn't even have James Earl Jones read it to her like we could, okay? But hey, uh, she, 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 well, but what she did have, she had her mind, okay? She had her mind. You see, Mary had went to temple all her life. Mary had went to the synagogue, and Mary had sat in there, and she saw the teachers get up, and the teachers take the scriptures, and the teachers take the, take the word of God, and the teachers would teach her the Bible and teach her the scriptures, and she would remember that. 
And so on this four-day trip, she called up those scriptures and she called up those, those, those stories and, and she called up those things that she had been taught and she remembered them and she pondered them because she had hid them in her heart. And probably no story stood out to Mary more than the story of Hannah. We all know the story of Hannah. Hannah wanted a child, but Hannah was barren. So Hannah went to, went, went, went to the tabernacle and she went in there and she bowed before God and she said, God, please give me a child. I promise if you give me a child, I will give that child back to you. God heard that and God blessed Hannah and gave Hannah baby Samuel. I don't know why, but the Mary related a lot to the story of Hannah because a lot of what Mary says here relates to what Hannah said in 1 Samuel chapter 2. So she related to Hannah a lot more than anything else. She said, uh, 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 but I want to tell you today that, that she, what, what had happened is, is Mary had took, taken the word of God and she had hid the word of God in her heart. So much so that when she was filled with the Spirit of God and she opened her mouth, what poured out of her mouth was the Word of God that she had previously hidden in there. So when, when, when she's filled with the Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit gets in her and she opens her mouth and the Word of God begins to pour out of her mouth that she had hidden in her heart, what exactly was Mary talking about? What exactly was Mary talking about here in this passage of Scripture? I'll tell you what Mary was talking about. Mary began to talk about as the Spirit of God filled her and the, and, the, and the words of God poured out of her mouth, Mary began to praise the mercy of God. That's what Mary's talking about. Mary, in this passage of Scripture, she begins to talk about the mercy of God. I have today three subjects of, God, of God's mercy that Mary talked about. As Mary, as Mary expounds on what she's learned in, uh, in her mind and she's filled with the Spirit of God, and she, she wants to praise God, she wants to give God thanks, and, and all she can begin to talk about is the mercy of God. So we're going to talk about this morning. This morning we're going to talk about what the, the three subjects of God's mercy that Mary talked about. Let's look at verse number 46, please. Verse number 46 this morning. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. I want you to see this morning that Mary experiences the mercy of God by first magnifying the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I used to do this when I was a kid. If I found a magnifying glass, you know what I was going to do with that magnifying glass? I was going to go outside and get on my belly. I was going to find me some ants. I'm going to find me the sun on a, on a sunny day, and I'm going to be frying some ants. That's just, uh, I thought it was cool. So I mean, crispity and crunchity ants is what's going to happen when I found a magnifying glass as a kid. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it was something about it. Uh, another thing is I'm kind of an astronomy buff. So I was reading this book on astronomy, and it was saying, it was telling me how uh, uh, I've been wanting a telescope for a long time so I could look up in the sky. And uh, it was saying that the telescope that Galileo had was no more powerful than a pair of binoculars. Well, I didn't have a telescope, but I had binoculars. 
So I could go outside and I could look, you know, you just look at the moon, it looks just like a flat surface. But when you, even if you look at the moon with a pair of binoculars, you can see the mountains and you can see the valleys and, and it just comes that much closer to you and it becomes more real to you. Well, that's what magnify means. Magnify means to make something bigger. It means to make something bigger. So if you have a problem, you know what you should do? You should magnify Jesus and make him bigger than your problem. If you have a, a bill that needs to be paid, make Jesus bigger than your bill. If you have an issue, any kind of issue, hey, guess what? Make Jesus bigger than your issue. If we learn to magnify God, then, and then Jesus becomes bigger than our problem. And not only does what you magnify, uh, does it become bigger, but it also brings it closer. So when we magnify something and we make it bigger, not only does it become bigger, but it becomes closer to us. It brings us closer. So if you make Jesus bigger than your problem, then you become closer to the Lord. And this is the first thing she did. I want to talk about the mercy of God, but before that, I have to magnify him. I have to make him bigger than my problem. I have to make him bigger than myself. And not only do I have to make him bigger, I have to bring him closer so I can be close to him. Hey, I want to magnify the Lord this morning is what she said. The verse number, let's go to the next verse, verse number 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Hold on a second. Hold the phone. This is very interesting. This is a very interesting verse. Because what does Mary say? Mary says the words, in God my Savior. That's very interesting. Why is that interesting? I'll tell you why that's interesting. It's interesting because there's a doctrine out there. It's called Immaculate Conception. And what this doctrine says is that Mary had no original sin and that Mary was sinless. Really? Because the last time I checked, only sinners needed a Savior. See, Mary said, hey, I'm not perfect. Hey, I'm not sinless. If anyone needs a savior, it's me. And that's exactly what Mary saw herself as. Mary saw herself as a sinner needing a savior. And as a sinner needing a savior, you know what she needed more than anything else? The mercy of God. That's what she needed. She needed God to have mercy on her. So if somebody tells you that Mary was, uh, was perfect and was sinless, you can say, well, hey, if she was perfect and sinless, then why did she need a Savior? Because only sinners need a Savior. Let's look at verse number 48. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. What Mary is saying here is, is God knows I'm poor. God knows I don't have much to offer him, but he has blessed me anyway. God knows I don't have much. God knows I'm poor. God knows what little I have. But even though he knows all this and he knows how insignificant I am, he still chooses to bless me. Romans 2.11 says uh, there, that God is not a risk, for there is no respect of persons with God. There's no respect of persons with God. When we hear this verse, we think about it going the other way. Okay, while it is true, God doesn't care how rich you are. 
While it is true that God doesn't care how important you are, God doesn't care how much power you have, he also doesn't care how small you are. He also doesn't care how insignificant you are. He also doesn't care how powerless you are. He will bless you all the same. Why? Because he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look at your status. He doesn't look at how much power you have or how much money you have. He doesn't look how poor you are. He doesn't look how insignificant you are. He blesses us all the same. Psalms 138 verse 6. Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Mary was blessed. She was. We all would agree that we would call Mary a blessed person. But just because Mary is blessed does not mean we should worship her. That, that's not what it means. Abraham was blessed. Abraham was father of the nation of Israel, but nobody worships him. David was blessed. Fact, the fact, the very ancestral seed of Jesus Christ came from King David, but nobody worships David. And we shouldn't worship Mary either. You know why? Because what did Mary say? I'm just, I'm poor. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And I need God's mercy. Let's look at verse number 49 through 50. Bible says, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is, his, uh, holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him. Here we see in these two verses, Mary go through some divine attributes of God. She has three divine attributes of God that she touches on in these two verses. The first thing is we see God's power. Look at that first phrase in verse number 49. It says, for he that is mighty hath done to me Great things. Well, what is this great thing that he's done? Well, of course, you know what Mary's talking about. Mary's talking about the fact that she's a virgin and she's about to conceive the incarnate Christ. That's the great thing that she's talking about. And she's saying, man, if God can do that, how powerful is my God? He is very powerful. If he can make me a virgin conceive the incarnate Christ, man, that is a powerful, powerful God. And you know what? God looks back at Mary and says, Mary, if you think that's something, stick around. You hadn't seen anything yet. So the first thing she talks about is she talks about the power of God. The next thing she talks about is God's holiness. Let's see the next verse. It says, and holy is his name. This was the highest honor that Mary could ascribe to the Lord. What she is saying to God, it says, God, you are free from sin. You are free from injustice. You are free from impurity. You are holy. It was the highest honor that lowly Mary could give God is to tell him that he was a holy God. So she said, God, you are powerful. God, you are holy. And what's the last thing she says? She says, and his mercy on them that fear him. Finally, we see God's mercy. Mercy. She talks about God's mercy. God's mercy is what protects us. But you know, God's protecting spirit is only for those that fear God. It's only for those that fear God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you fear God? When I was a child, uh, I, w I didn't want to mess up because I didn't want my dad to give me a whooping. Now, I didn't get time out. 
I didn't get put in a corner. I didn't get spanked. I got a whooping. That's what I got. I got a whooping. Can I get an amen? Amen. And uh, that's what I got when I was a kid. And uh, when I was little, I didn't want to mess up because when when my dad would unbuckle that belt and he'd yank it out in one motion and then go out like that, you know, that I could hear that from across the house and I knew what it meant. Exactly. It'd give me shivers. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I wouldn't disobey my dad because I didn't want to hear that sound. I didn't want to get a whooping. But then something happened. I grew and I matured. Then it became, oh, I don't want to disobey my dad just because I don't want a whooping. Now it became, I don't want to disappoint my dad because I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to disobey my dad because I don't want to hurt his feelings. See, at some point in our Christian lives, we have to grow to the point where, hey, I don't want to disobey my God just because I, not just because I don't want to get punished, but because I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to disappoint him. You see, uh, that's what true, the true fear of God is. Psalms 112.1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you one more time. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments. You see, fearing God doesn't have to be a bad thing. The Bible says you can even delight in fearing God because you are happy that you are making God happy. So it's not about you cowering down and trembling and being scared to do the thing wrong because fire and brimstone is going to hit you from heaven. You're proud to do the right thing because you're happy you made God happy. You're happy you didn't hurt his feelings. You're happy that you didn't disappoint him. You see, fearing God is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Fearing God is a good thing. And fearing God is a way to get the mercy of God. That's how we receive this protecting spirit from God's mercy if we fear God. Let's read verses 50 and 51. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of his hearts. So the first part of this was we have Mary talking about God's mercy on her. The second part here, number two, is God's mercy on all people. So this right here is God's mercy on all people. It says the first part of that verse, it says um, the arm is a symbol. It says um, he hath showed strength with his arm. See, the arm is a symbol of strength. So, so Mary is saying that God is a strong God. My merciful God is a strong God. And here we transition from what God has done to her from what God has done to other people. Look at verse number 51. He hath showed the strength of his arm and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Imagination of their hearts. That's interesting. See, these are people who imagine in their hearts that they're better than everybody else. That's what this is what they're imagining. Because it's a figment of their imagination that they're better than everybody else. Because guess what? You ain't. You ain't better than everybody else. Ain't nobody better than anybody. 
Okay, so this is just a figment of their imagination. This is what they're imagining. They're imagining that they're better than other people. And what this probably refers to is the haughty Jews. The haughty and proud Jews who thought when they heard about the coming Messiah, they thought, oh, well, the Messiah. Messiah is going to come from a noble family of Judea. And he will come and he will be a, he will come and, and he will be a, 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 a temporal prince and We'll set up a temporal kingdom and then we will be free and we will flourish as a people. We will have a powerful kingdom when the Messiah comes. And that ain't what happened. God took the imagination of their hearts and he scattered it. Because that's not at all what happened. What happened is, is that when the Messiah came, he was born not to a noble family of Judea, but to a poor virgin. One that was betrothed to a carpenter, who then he himself would be trained up to be not a scribe, uh, uh, not a teacher or a rabbi, but a carpenter. And of Nazareth, from, of all places, why did it have to be Nazareth? Why did it have to be Nazareth? See, God took the imaginations of what they thought was going to happen. He broke them and shattered them in pieces and scattered them out. No, that is not what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Why? Because they were proud and they were haughty and he scattered their imagination. Verse number 52. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Basically, Exalting the humble and humbling the exalted. Think of, think of David. David was just a lowly shepherd boy. In fact, whenever God sent, God sent Samuel to Jesse's house to, to look for the king, and, 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 and Samuel went in there, and, and, and Jesse walked out with all of his big strapping young sons, and, and they, they walked in front of Samuel, and, 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 and uh, they told Samuel how high they could jump and how much they could bench press, and, 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 and they were telling Samuel about all their good things that they had done and how proud he was of his big, young, strong, strapping sons. And Samuel looked at all of them and said, man, these guys are pretty good. But, but God said, no, you look at on the outward appearance, but I look at on the heart. That's not them. Pick someone else. And Samuel looked around and said, Jesse, do you have anybody else that you can show me? And Jesse said, well, I got this one kid. He's kind of scrawny. He's a little, you know, little redheaded stepchild I got. Okay. He's out and back. He's tending to the sheep. He's been out there a while. He probably stinks. You know, he's probably, uh, he, he's probably stepped in a couple shepherd's pies. And uh, he stinks a little bit. And, uh, but he's, you know, he's, oh, if you, do you want me to go get him? And Samuel's like, yes, go get him. So they brought in David. And David was just this young, scrawny little boy. But you know what God saw? God saw the next king of Israel. Because God, hey, he looks at things different than us. God, he was the last one anybody expected to be king. But God had other plans. This verse number 53. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. All right, it is true that if, some, that if people that are, that are wealthy, if they boast of their riches, if, uh, if they trust in their wealth, and they don't make proper use of their wealth, 
Guess what God's going to do? God can take it away from them. In a heartbeat, they can come in with everything in the world, but then they can turn around at a drop of the hat and God can take everything away from them and send them away without nothing. God has the ability to do that. And God has done that many, many, many times. But you know what? He hasn't always done it. In some instances, I think you could even agree with me, sometimes the wicked get richer. And, uh, and you know, it's also true that there are some wealthy people who are very good Christians, who do right with their wealth. There's a man by the name of Russell Anderson. Russell Anderson, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not, but Russell Anderson was a wealthy man, a multimillionaire, and what he decided he was going to do with his money is he's going to go around and start Bible college for Baptist preacher boys. So there are a dozen uh, 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 Russell Anderson started Bible college across this country that Russell Anderson started, Hundreds of churches have been started out of these colleges because this wealthy man uses wealth right. Okay? So, uh, but I will say this, that, so, just because you're rich doesn't mean that God will send you away empty, but everyone that comes to God rich in their own opinion will be sent away empty. Everyone that comes to God rich in their own righteousness will be sent away empty. Everyone that comes to God rich in their own works will be sent away empty. Just like the Pharisees, God will send them away. Hey, you know what? For all the good works they boast of, for all the good works they trust in, at the last judgment, they'll be sent away empty. And God will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Hey, if we come to God rich in our own righteousness, he's going to send us away. If we come to God rich in our own works and rich in our own good works and thinking that the good works can outweigh the bad works, it only takes one bad work, one sin to tip the scale against you. That's all it takes. A sin is so incredibly heavy. It only takes one. So we don't need to come to God rich in our own works. Rich in our own righteousness. That's not how we need to come to God. Because if we do that, guess what he's going to do? He's going to send us away. So Mary is filled with the Spirit of God. She's on this four-day journey, and all she could do is just go over in her mind these scriptures over and over and over. She's replaying them. She's quoting them. She's reciting them in her heart. She comes to her cousin Elizabeth's house and, and, and Elizabeth greets her filled with the Spirit of God. And because Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit of God, Mary was filled with the Spirit of God. As she was filled with the Spirit of God, she opened her mouth and outflowed the Word of God that she had hid in her heart. And what she talked about was the mercy of God. The first thing she talked about was God's mercy to her. The second thing she talked about was God's mercy to all people. But then the third thing she talked about was God's special mercy to his chosen people. To his chosen people, the, ch the children of Israel. Verse number 50, let's read verse number 54 and 55. He hath hoped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Verse number 54, this is God's special mercy to his people. It says he hath hoping. Hoping here, basically it means helped. 
means to take hold of someone. Hopin means to literally catch someone from falling. That's what it literally means. Let me tell you something about God's people in the past. God's people in the past have been weak. They have been feeble. They have been in danger of falling. And they have been in danger of being overthrown. From the Babylonians to the Medes and the Persians to the Romans to the Germans to today the Muslims all want to overthrow this little teeny tiny country called Israel. You know what God says? God here calls Israel his servant. Let me read for you Isaiah 41.8. But thou Israel art my servant, Jacob, Jacob whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Make no mistake today, Israel is God's chosen people. Israel is God's chosen people. And anybody that stands against Israel is someone I don't want to be around. Let me tell you something today. The day that the United States, we're doing okay right now, but the day that the United States of America turns its back on the nation of Israel, you better watch out because God is not going to be happy with that because Israel is God's chosen people. They have been and they always will be. They are God's chosen people. And this is what Mary's saying. Then she says in this verse, she says, in remembrance of, of his mercy. Don't forget that God made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And in this covenant, God showed special mercy to his people. Special mercy that he didn't give to everybody. Special mercy just to his people. Micah 7:20. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers. From the days of old. You see what Mary is doing here? Mary is remembering the promises of God. Hey God, you promised us some things. You promised some things to the nation of Israel. Galatians 3.16 Now to Abraham and his seed were promises made. He saith not unto the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. God, you made some promises. And if anybody's going to keep their promises of mercy, it's going to be God. So what are these promises? What are these promises that God made to the nation of Israel? Verse number 55 says, as he spoke to our fathers. You see, God promised in his mercy to Abraham. And God promised in his mercy to Isaac. And God promised in his mercy to Jacob that their seed would last forever. That was, one of the, that was one part of the promise. You know what the second part of the promise was? The second part of the promise is he promised them mercy in the form of a Messiah. In the form of a Messiah. And that was coming true. Mary is saying, hey, this promise, this covenant, this promise you made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, right now this promise, it's happening. It's coming true right now. I have the evidence of it right here. I have the Messiah right here that is going to be born. These promises are going to be fulfilled. And that is part of the, of the mercy you have promised your people. It says next in the verse, it says to Abraham and to his seed forever. 
You see, God promised to Abraham's seed a redeemer. God promised to Abraham's seed a savior. And right now, Mary is saying, God is fulfilling this promise he made to his people. But you know, I want to tell you something. Even though God promised special mercy to his children, and even though God promised special mercy to the seed of Abraham, Jesus in the New Testament, I want to tell you, expands the definition of what it is to be Abraham's seed. See, right now we think the seed of Abraham is just the descendant of Abraham, the nation of Israel. That's all they're talking about. But that's not what the New Testament says. The New Testament expands this definition. Uh, let me read for you Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. The Bible says, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are, for ye are all in Christ Jesus. And if ye be in Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, the promise made to Abraham related to Messiah. It, related, it was a promise that all in him should be blessed, all in Abraham. See, Abraham believed in the Messiah to come. And this distinguished him from everybody else. And you know what? If Abraham believed, guess what? We believe too. You understand this morning that if you're a saved child of God, then guess what? You're part of Abraham's spiritual seed. You, the Bible says so. The Bible says it doesn't matter if you're Jew, it doesn't matter if you're Gentile, if you're male or you're female or you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised. If you're a child of God, you're a saved, born-again Christian, you're a part of the church of God, then you are part of Abraham's spiritual seed and you're an heir. You're an heir of Christ. You have access to this inheritance. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ if so be that we suffer him that we may also be glorified together so so the promised mercy given to God's chosen people Israel guess what that includes it includes me and you so if Israel's going to last forever the church is going to last forever if Israel gets promised a redeemer the church gets promised a redeemer. Why? Because I serve a merciful God today. God said, hey. Mary said, hey. God is merciful to me. God is most merciful to everybody. But God has special mercy for his people. And that special mercy is for me and for you today too. It's for us. We can experience the special mercy of God. Because we are joint heirs in Christ, God's people, God's chosen, includes us now. It includes us. We have access to this mercy. Hey, but you can only be a part of God's chosen if you're saved. 
If there's come a time in your life when you've not trusted in your own works and righteousness, but you trusted in the righteousness of His Son, and you asked, invited His Son to your heart and washed your sins away. Hey, you know what? Then and only then can you be a part of God's chosen people. But you know what? If you are saved, and if you are Christian, may I ask you to do this this Christmas time? May I ask you to do this? And what I'm asking you to do is to do like Mary did. Get filled with the Spirit. Pour out of your mouth the, word, the, the words of God. And thank God for His mercy. I am so glad that God chose to show mercy on a little nine-year-old red-headed boy in Magnolia, Mississippi and forgive that little nine-year-old boy's sins. Now today I get to go to heaven. Why? Because I have a merciful God. I am thankful that, I am, that God has called me to preach and that I'm, I'm here pastoring this church. And, and why is that? Because of the mercy of God. I mean, you look at your family. Look at your spouse and look at your children. And, and why? Why? Because of the mercy of God. God is merciful. God is merciful to us as a people, to the world, as us as individuals. We have access to this mercy. Remember the mercy of God, just like Mary did. Remember his mercy today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I don't know what you need this morning. I don't know what you need. Maybe you're in here today and you're not saved. If you're not, you can, you can take care of that. You can come down here and I'll take a Bible and I'll show you how you can know that you're saved. Maybe you're in here today and you just want to thank God for his mercy. You can do that too. What did Mary say? Mary said, I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. That's what she said. Mary remembered the mercy of God. May we remember the mercy of God today. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for being a merciful God. Thank you for being there, for being with us. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, you bless us today. Lord, you showed mercy on us when you sent us your son. Lord, you showed mercy on us when you gave your life as a ransom for many. Lord, I am so thankful that I am redeemed. And I am that because you are a merciful God. May we take time this morning as Christians to just like Mary, give you praise and give you thanksgiving for your mercy. Be with this invitation. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the invitation music begins to play. You do what the Lord has laid on your heart. Even if you stay in your pew this morning, do business with God. Thank Him for that mercy that He's given us. Thank you for listening to this morning's message, and we hope you have a wonderful week.